chapter two. <laughs> we made it. Oh, this is sad. This is sad. Um, as you're turning there, let me just give a couple of uh, quick little updates here um, and, and announcements. Uh, one is this. We, we have raised, I'm so grateful to God, so appreciative of the congregation here. We've now raised over $1.8 million, okay? That's, that's, praise God, that is excellent. And it seems bizarre to talk like this, but we only need $170,000 uh, to hit our $2 million goal. Um, I would encourage those of you who haven't jumped on board yet with this, maybe you've just started attending or you've been, you know, just haven't felt led or whatever, but really give it a matter of prayer and to see if you can't bring us home to that two million. Uh, it, it's not in question whether we'll be there. In fact, they're saying we'll be there by the end of the year, praise God. But um, what's, we really are going in on a super uh, a shoestring budget. And uh, so things like uh, whether we'll have sufficient rooms for the kids and screens to put the words on and... And, and things like that, enough chairs. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into this. Uh, so if you can uh, help, if you're led to help bring us home, I'd encourage you to do that. You can just make a check out to the building fund, send it in or put it in the offering next week. Uh, but we need that here in the next couple of weeks because we have to finalize uh, all the finances on it. So keep that in prayer. We also need a lot of help with the setup crew. Uh, once we get into uh, our new complex, uh, this won't be necessary. But right now, for the next six, seven months, uh, we really need help just setting up before service, tearing down after service. We're down just, just to a few hardworking good souls, uh, but we really need uh, help in that area. Please consider that. There's no prerequisites here, no special unique talents, but it's a very vital ministry. Uh, you don't have to volunteer every week. It can be every other week or once a month, but whatever you can give, we would appreciate it. It means coming a little bit early and staying a little after. Uh, but it's a vital ministry. We also need help, final one here, and then I'm going to start reading. But um, Norm wants to build up the choir. This is a once-a-month commitment to sing in the choir. If you've got, uh, you know, a voice and would like to praise God with your voice, um, give him a call, and uh, we're going to have this rocking choir up here. It's cool. Praise God. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 has been talking about, we've seen the last 18 verses or so, about the foolishness of the gospel. And what I mean by that is this. Because the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world and the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God, God on purpose uses foolish things to get, the, to get his job done, to, to build the kingdom of God here on earth and to tear down the kingdom of Satan. That's just a program of his. So if you look around and you say, man, Christianity has got a lot of foolish things to it, this is why. What we're going to see now in chapter 2 is that Paul's going to use himself as a prime example of how God uses foolish things to confound the wise. And I'm, we're, we're, we're just going to take this apart. We, we really believe that uh, our growth depends on a systematic study of the Word of God. So we like to worship God passionately, but we also need to study the, the Word of God in a disciplined way. And that's what this uh, time is about. It's giving instruction to the army. So we're going to take it verse by verse. First, I'll read the first two verses. Paul says this, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God. That's that whole thing about how God had planned on outwitting the devil. At least that's one aspect of this mystery. He didn't come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. He didn't use a lot of, you know, fancy, awe-inspiring vocabulary, eloquent, rhetorical twists of speech. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
I decided to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Pray with me here for one second. Father, let your word come alive. Because God, if that doesn't happen, this is a waste of time. I can't speak it. I can't say it. I can't preach it in a way that's going to build uh, uh, kingdom principles in our life. Holy Spirit, we need you to be using the words uh, to do that. So, Lord, we trust in you. We rely upon you. We beckon you to be here, present, impregnate the words with your power, and build the kingdom in our minds and hearts, lives, families, neighborhoods, and world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a really interesting phrase here. Paul says, um, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. What you're finding here is Paul has a self-imposed ignorance. I decided I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing, all right? Uh, self-imposed ignorance. Now you need to see that, that um, in the first century, uh, they had, it was very common uh, for there to be roaming philosophers who would stand on street corners or in the marketplace and they would use eloquent words, fancy words, rhetorical skills to preach some speculative philosophy and try to get people to be followers of theirs. And that's how they would make a living. Rhetoric was a, a very uh, high-valued thing in the, in the first century. And um, people appreciated that. These preachers could wow crowds, bedazzle crowds with their ability to speak. Paul here is contrasting himself with these roaming philosophers. He says, when I came to you, I, I didn't stand in the corner and use wow words, you know, uh, super speculative words, lofty speech, rhetorical skills. I didn't bedazzle you with my great speaking abilities. Rather, I, I, I determined to know nothing except one thing, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, let's pick this apart a little bit here. I think it's got a good principle for, for the philosophy of the church, and it's got a good principle for us in our daily lives. Paul's not saying that ignorance is a virtue. He's not saying, you know, you're more spiritual the less you know. He's not saying that. Um, in fact, Paul was himself an extremely educated man. He was about as educated as you could get in the first century. Uh, King Agrippa, when, when Paul was on trial in, in, the, in the book of Acts, uh, King Agrippa says this to him. He says, Paul, with all this talk about the resurrection and stuff, uh, I'm beginning to think that all of your learning, your wealth of learning has made you mad. You're insane. What that tells you is how, uh, what Paul's reputation was in the ancient world. This was a learned guy. You know, when he, when he debated philosophers, he could quote philosophers. Read Acts 17. When he debated rabbis, he could quote the scripture like, like, like nobody's business. You find that throughout the book of Acts 2. But what he's saying here is this. He's saying, when I came to you, Corinthians, um, uh, I didn't care about anything. I'm not trying to impress you with my PhD. I'm not trying to show off to you all the, the, the philosophy that I might know or the information I might have or the opinions I might have about world events. When it, when it comes to talking to you, Corinthians, I wasn't like the roaming philosophers. There's only one thing I cared about, one thing that was important, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And outside of that, I don't know anything. I was deciding to myself, I'm going to impose, uh, I'm going to have a moratorium on showing off knowledge. I'm going to be ignorant except for this one thing. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. A couple of really important principles here. One has to do with the philosophy of, of the church. Um, here, here's how it speaks to me. I, uh, in the last several weeks, we're in, a, we're in an election year here. And um, as always happens in an election year, I have gotten several calls from different politicians. And they want to get a public endorsement. Uh, either in the church or by me personally or whatever. One person wanted to just have a few minutes in the pulpit. And if they couldn't get a few minutes in the pulpit, they wanted a little writing in the bulletin or some table or whatever just to tell Christian audiences that this is the Christian candidate. 
Now, there's another person from the opposite party who's also the Christian candidate for the Christians, you know, and they also want a little bit of time and whatnot. One of the candidates wanted me to uh, give the speech at, at his um, endorsement or, or his acceptance of the po political party he's a part of. He wanted me to give the speech, you know, and I, I was honored. I was flattered. But I said, you know what? I can't do that. I can't do that. Um, I can't, I, I, I can't do that. And one of the reasons is because of the verse that I find right here in 1 Corinthians. Um, it's not that I don't have any political opinions. I do, and they're all right. I, 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 <laughs> I read the paper, and I can't believe why, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these things. I inherited the gift of being right from my father. You know, it's like, he was here in the first service, and I was teasing him about that. You know, um, you know, ask, go ahead, ask me. Oh, you want to just do a little political jostling? I really don't care that much, but, you know, my opinion on gun control or on capital punishment or on this social program or whatever. Um, yeah, I got a, I've got opinions. You've got opinions. It's not wrong to have opinions. We can discuss those kind of things. But it's so crucial, and that's why I hit on this over and over again, that in terms of what we are about as a church, in terms of, of, of what builds the church, um, We've got to know this, that it's about Jesus Christ, period. It begins with Jesus, it has Jesus in the middle, and it ends with Jesus Christ. Amen? And, uh, amen, we've got to determine, we've got to keep our focus, we've got to keep on task. Uh, we can't get sidetracked to this or that. It, it, it's an okay thing. You follow your conscience, let God lead you into how you want to get involved in the political matters. I even told these, these different candidates, you know, praise God, I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you're called, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Uh, you know, I bring, bring your faith to the political process and sanctify it. Lord knows it needs sanctification. I bless you in this. But see, what's real? I told one of these politicians, uh, I said, you know, I, I, I would like to, but I can't. You see, someone's still got to preach to the Republicans, and, and uh, someone's got to save those Republicans. You know, they need help, and he agreed with that. Oh, yeah, they do. So that, that's why... Because see, here's what's real. Being a Democrat isn't going to make you more saved, is it? Being a Republican isn't going to make you more sanctified. Being a Libertarian isn't going to get you more on fire for Jesus. Being a Jesse Ventura Reform Party, whatever they're calling it now, isn't, it, it isn't going to like, make you more disciplined in Bible reading. Being a, uh, a socialist isn't going to make you a better evangelist. But being a Christian will make you better at all of those things if you put Jesus Christ first. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. The source of, of all that we're about, our salvation, our redemption, our sanctification, our discipleship, is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And that's why our focus has got to be singular. I've always been, and I've, I've said this before, I've always been so impressed with the fact that Jesus Christ never let himself get co-opted into the political squabbles that were going on in his day. Because see, what he was about, and this is what we are about, whatever else you want to do out there, fine, but what most centrally defines you is that you're about a different kingdom, a kingdom that Jesus says is not of this world. Uh, it, it's a countercultural kingdom. We really are involved in a subversive evangelism. Uh, we are involved in guerrilla warfare. We are ambassadors of, uh, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, stationed behind enemy lines, and we've got a job to do. Now, whatever else you do in terms of your politics or ecology or I don't care is fine, but let it come out of your kingdom principles. Let it come out of your, your, your convictions about Jesus Christ. But never let it define you. What should define you is the person of Jesus Christ and nothing but the person of Jesus Christ. 
What's going to save the world is not the opinion you have about social reform or the educational reform or, or the economy or whatever. That's not what's going to save the world. Democrats aren't going to save the world. Republicans aren't going to save the world. Libertarians and Reform Party candidates aren't going to save the world. Jesus Christ is going to save the world, and that's what we're about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So our focus has got to be singular. Jesus never let himself get co-opted. Someone came to him with a coin and says, or no, actually, they, they said, they're trying to give him to tip his hand. Well, whose side are you on? You know, where do you stand in the politics? You've got to understand that uh, uh, politics were thick in the environment in the Hellenistic world. The Romans were controlling their Jews, and the Jews didn't like it, and they had all sorts of opinions about how you should respond. And they were trying to get Jesus to play his hand and get caught up in one of the political parties. So they said, should we pay taxes or not? That was a big thing. Because you're paying taxes to the Roman government, and the Roman government is corrupt. I mean, they were corrupt to the core. Uh, their leaders were ungodly. Uh, you know, we, we sometimes complain, and it's understandable, about our political leaders and the scandals that go on and the, and the you know, improprieties that go on and whatnot. But we mean by that having a relationship with an intern and raising funds at a Buddhist temple, and we find that to be scandalous. And fine, scandalous. But in the first century, you've got to know, when they... They would, they would chuckle at our scandals. Uh, you know, our candidates look like, look like celibate saints compared to uh, uh, Caesar and Nero and, and, and Caligula and those guys. It was corrupt. But you never find Jesus getting sidetracked. You know, pe people got involved in different ways. But Jesus, for the purposes of building his kingdom, he never got sidetracked. They said, well, should we pay taxes to support these corrupt leaders? And so Jesus just sort of makes a joke out of it and, and skirts the issue. He says, someone give me a coin. Someone gave him a coin. He goes, oh, who's, whose face is that? And they go, well, it's Caesar's. And he says, well, you better give it back to Caesar. Apparently he lost it. I mean, that's the, the thrust of what he's saying. You know, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But see, what he's about is a very different kind of a kingdom. I've determined to know nothing. I'm ignorant of it all, but except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, you, if you start getting off focus and start getting on the political, you know, parties and the different temporal solutions, uh, then what that does is it invariably detracts, it dissipates the energy that we ought to have for building the kingdom of God. It brings division where there ought to be unity. And what Jesus Christ unites should never be divided. Amen? Amen. Now there's a word in this also for each one of us. Uh, this is kind of, a, it, it informs our church philosophy, but it's also got to inform every one of us. And in a nutshell, it's this. Uh, you are first and foremost... An ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're, you're a, a guerrilla warrior. I'm talking to believers now. Uh, and if you're here and you're not a believer, listen in and become one before the morning's over, okay? Uh, the, the, uh, uh, you are first and foremost a warrior. G Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2, verse 4, don't get overly involved in civilian affairs. Don't get preoccupied with civilian affairs because you're a soldier. And a good soldier is always listening to obey his commanding officer. So also, take care that you don't get so occupied in your opinions about... Uh, these temporal matters, not saying they're unimportant, but they're not as important as what your commanding officer has to say. So don't get so involved in these temporal matters that you stop listening to your commanding officer and stop doing the work of the kingdom of the commanding officer. Well, you are first and foremost, whatever job you have, whatever relationships you have, whatever opinions you have, you are first and foremost an ambassador, a representative of a foreign kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And we're stationed here in a foreign country. The Bible says that we're not citizens of this world, but we're representing the kingdom of God. That's who we are. We are, as Ephraim said a couple weeks ago, uh, the, the preview of, of, of heaven. That's what we are. And we have a job to do. We have a work to do. Never let temporal matters get in the way of your doing that. 
Okay, it's just not worth it. Now here's the, here's the thing. It can happen. It's easy to happen. Where we are around uh, co-workers or around neighbors uh, or just other people who maybe don't know the Lord. And issues come up. And we've got opinions about those issues and they've got opinions about those issues. And what can happen is you can lock horns on those issues. And if you lock horns on those issues and you also, like me, have been uh, given the gift of being right, you're sure you're right, you're sure they're wrong, you lock horns on that and you know what? It's going to be very hard for you to ever do the one thing that is needful in life and that is build a relationship with them and share the love of Jesus Christ if you let that issue get in the way. You don't like their lifestyle, okay? You don't like the candidate that they're voting for and they're out there pushing them. You know, you, 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 you absolutely detest some of the things that they stand for. It can be issues like that. It can be personal issues like he keeps on thinking that a part of your lawn is, is his lawn. You know, I, there, there's a person I knew several years ago who uh, got into a fight with her neighbor. He's a believer. The neighbor was not. And, and uh, they got in a fight over uh, where exactly the boundaries were and whatever. And, and they locked horns on that. They had a neighborhood feud. They never got over it. And this person would say, well, you know what, I have a right to that land. I bought that land. Well, yes, Christian, you know what, you have a right. But is it the most important thing in the world? And the answer to that one is a no-brainer, no. You're talking about four feet of dirt here, buddy. Um, and uh, see, is it, Jesus did not insist on his rights if it would further the kingdom of God, even to the point of death. Uh, maybe it'd be good if this would be a learning opportunity here not to insist on your right to this four feet piece of dirt, piece of dirt if it would further the kingdom of God. Wouldn't it not perhaps be a great testimony to the kingdom if you just wouldn't let this be an issue? And you even said to the guy, you know what? I'll tell you what, let's divide it two and two, or, or you, you can have the whole four feet. I, I really do believe it's mine, but, but you know what? If it's that important to you, I, I don't want this to come between us. And see, now you're building a bridge. Now, you know, and I think four feet of dirt invested in it that would make an eternal difference is a pretty good investment. What do you think? Okay, our mindset's got to be this, believers. Um, you, know, you, you are not going to do the world really much good if you convince your neighbor about the value of gun control or you really ram down their throat, the, the need for capital punishment, or, or whatever. Um, it's okay to talk about those things. In fact, you need to talk about those things. You make discussion. You, you discuss this, that, or the other thing. Fine. You've you got to build a relationship talking about something. But it's all important, ambassador of Jesus Christ, how you discuss that. And what I'm saying here is this. Sit loose with your opinions. You can have them. But sit loose with them. And don't make it the, the sine qua non of the relationship, the, the foundation of the relationship. Um, let it slide. You know, let it slide. And, uh, and let it go because you have a higher agenda. Convince them of your political position. So what? 50 years, what difference is that going to make? Uh, show them the love of Jesus Christ. And in 50 years, you're not even getting, getting warmed up as to the difference it will make. Praise God. Determine to know nothing among them, save, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It applies to a lot of areas of our life. Let's move on quickly to verse 3. I want to get through five verses this morning. But i got to end here a little early because we've got to have that covenant partner meeting at 1230. So Holy Spirit, give me the hardest gift for me to accept, and that is succinctness of expression. Verse 3, Paul says this. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Look at that. This is the Apostle Paul. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible, or, were, or could be translated um, with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. 
I, I love the Apostle Paul. Um, he says all out here, you know, when I came to you, Corinthians, when I started this church and, and preached among you for a while, I, I was scared. I, I, I was so afraid and I was so weak that I was trembling. You ever, have you ever gotten in front of a big audience, you know, and, and uh, you, you're kind of like just shaking, <laughs> you know, and, and the room feels cold. Some of you have had done that. And then they give you the microphone and, and it's like this. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say, well, that's what Paul's saying this. He's trembling. The guy's shaking. Now, see, here's why this is important. We sometimes, I think, get this idea that the early apostles and disciples were these super people, you know, who just uh, were so walking in the power of God. That they, they, they always were confident. They always were strong. They always were bold. They never batted an eye. Oh, they could face lions and they smile. That's right. They got up in front of crowds and they preached boldly and whatever. And it's true that boldness is one of the gifts of the Spirit. But look it. See, when you get that kind of model of the early disciples, then all of a sudden you feel very puny and small and unspiritual because you get nervous when you've got to talk to one person. But see, what Paul's telling us here is this. He got nervous. He had butterflies. His stomach was in knots. And it wasn't like he had a huge crowd either. He's starting from scratch. He had three people probably the first service. And here he is, the Apostle Paul, the great and mighty, you know, just trying to deliver the word there, there, there to him. I love this about the Apostle Paul. He's a human being, praise God. And if you get nervous sometimes doing kingdom work, whatever capacity it is, it doesn't mean that you're not spiritual. It just means that you're human. <laughs> praise God. He didn't come with eloquent speech. He didn't come with uh, fancy words and, and, and whatever. He came in demonstration of spirit and power. Now, Paul didn't say, I, I came to you totally unprepared, and that's a spiritual thing. People have taken this text to mean that, therefore, when you go up to preach, you should never prepare. Uh, you should just get up there, and the spirit will take over. Now, sometimes you get up, and the spirit does take over, and you ought to be okay with that. But I don't think you should count on that and, uh, and, and uh, not prepare. Uh, I always wondered, if you're around these kind of circles where people talk like this, why does the Holy Spirit have to be the, the ultimate procrastinator? You know, it's only spiritual that comes through at the last minute. Sometimes God can talk to you on Monday about what he wants you to say on, on Sunday, you see. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with being unspir uh, uh, about being prepared. But look at uh, What Paul is saying here is this. Don't leverage the gospel on your preparedness. Don't le leverage the gospel on the basis of what you think you can do. Don't limit the power of the gospel to your skills and what you think you are adequate at. In other words, do the best you can do. Be prepared as you can be. Work on the gift, whatever the gift is that, that you're talking about. Be the best that you can be. God, there's nothing uh, virtuous about unpreparedness. There's nothing virtuous about slop. Um, give God your very, very best. But don't trust your best to build the kingdom. What the kingdom is about, Paul says, I came in demonstration of spirit and power. The word power there, dunamis, we get the word dynamite from it. It literally means power to affect change. What the kingdom of God is about is, is, is changing people's lives. Now, it can also be about showing miracles and signs and wonders, and that's part of what Paul meant here. But the main thing he meant was that, that the power to change lives, the power to make a difference, the power to take a sinner and make them into a believer and a saint, the power to get, change the way a person thinks. It doesn't reside in how well you can say it. It doesn't reside in how good you can sing it. It resides in the power of God who can take however you speak and however you sing and make it the means by which people get saved. Amen? That's what you should trust. It's the only thing you should trust. Lean on the power of God. 
So Paul said, came here and he says, I didn't try to impress you with the way I talk. I didn't try to impress you with razzle dazzle. I just wanted God to show up. And when you got a heart like that, God does show up. You can be the most eloquent speaker in the world and, and people can go, wow, you're really a good talker. I don't worry about that one here very much, but, but, it, but it can happen. And, and, and you know what? You're wasting your time. If that's all people get out of it, and, and then it's a waste of time. It, it, they can say, well, you got the best music in the world. But if they leave unchanged, it was a waste of time. They can say, wow, you run the nicest church in the world. You got the greatest building in the world. You got all this cool, cool, cool stuff. But if they leave unchanged, it's an utter, utter waste of time. On the other hand, if the people of God are calling upon God, and if there's regular intercession on behalf of the ministry, and if we have our heads about us and are listening to Paul's example um, and are open to it, then we do our best, and even when it, 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 it's kind of, it kind of stinks, God's going to use it. Praise God. God will fall on it. He'll, 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 his power will be there, and lives will be changed. God, help us from never being in a kind of place where people walk away going saying, wow, what a nice speech, or wow, what nice music, or wow, you know, what a good program they've got there. It's okay if they do that, but what they've got to most of all be saying is, wow, what a Savior. Oh, oh wow, what a Lord. What a God. These, these people really know God. There's a reality here. There's a power here. You can, you can smell the aroma of heaven in this place. They've got to be doing something right. Ah, uh, you know, you just can sense it there. That's what it's about, changing lives. It also says this, you guys, and I'm going to kind of start to wrap it up here, which means nothing, but I thought I should say it. Uh, but but it, it means this. you got to know that you, as you are, right where you are, can be used by God. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, the biggest lie out of the pit of hell is, is the lie that says... Uh, well, my past is too jaded, I can't be used. Or I'm too shy, or I'm too dumb, I'm not learned enough. What if someone disagrees with me? I can't be a witness for Jesus Christ. That, that's got to be other people's jobs because, you know, I just can't if and but, maybe kind of sort of want to do it and yada, yada, yada. Lie. It's a lie. Who is right? Um, see, what Paul's saying here is, is that God takes you as you are, fear, trembling, shaking, and, and if your heart is just open to Him using you, He will use you. He wants to use you. He can use you. In fact, the Word of God tells us that we're all supposed to be used in different ways. Your gifts might tailor how God used you, but it's not an option as to not whether or not God's going to use you to build His kingdom. We're all called to do that. And we're all called in various ways to be witnesses. One of the problems that we deal with here is that We've got an idea. Uh, it's kind of prevalent in evangelicalism that we've got an idea that we witness. This is why we sometimes feel intimidated by the whole idea of evangelism. We think that we witness by putting on display our perfect lives. We witness by showing the world that we don't have the struggles that they have and, and, and we don't have the marriage problems that they have and we don't have the kid problems that they have and we don't have the sin struggle problems that they have. And, and so we put that out on display. It happens sometimes where, let's say, you're at the state fair with your Christian husband and you get into a, a non-Christian discussion to the point where people around you can hear you. And all of a sudden, you might have a person who carries their Bible close under their armpit uh, come up and say to you, what kind of a witness are you being? What kind of, I've had this said to me a number of times, what kind of witness are you being? And... and um, and see, the, the idea here is this. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I was supposed to hide that, wasn't I? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know. 
the problems are all supposed to stay in the closet. I'm supposed to be Christian. And when you say that, you got to, you know, hold your Bible like this and everything is just right, you know. And so you walk around. <laughs> um, I must say, uh, and, and people are supposed to want that, you know. Gee, can I be as uptight as you? Uh, really? Um, you see, and, and what that, what, see, this is just the opposite of what Paul says. Paul, Paul doesn't come in and says, when I preached the word of God, you know, I just was so annoyed that I didn't have any fear. He doesn't say that. He says, I was scared. I was trembling. I was weak. You know, uh, and thereby he was witnessing. Why? Because he wasn't pointing to himself. He was pointing to Jesus Christ. See, to be a witness is not to be a witness to your great marriage and your great kids. Praise God if you got a great marriage, great kids, great everything. Hallelujah. But, you know, that's not, that's not what you're selling. We're here as ambassadors, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and our job is to point towards Him. You see, to be a witness as you are. Our one and only call, ultimately, folks, is simply to be real. The, the body of Christ ought to be the most real, the group of, most real group of people on the planet. Um, it, it's called truth. Jesus says, walk in the truth. Walk in the light. A light is where everything is on. You can see what's there. There's no darkness because everything is exposed. Walk in the light even as he is in the light. Walk in the truth. The Greek word for truth is aletheia, which means uncovered. It means open. What we are called to be is to be real people. Real, you know, there, there was a, a, a pastor that I worked for a little bit um, a couple decades ago now, I guess. And... Um, uh, he came to this church. He ended up being a charlatan, and it was really yicky. But right from the get-go, it wasn't working out well. We had this couple that was just great with youth. I mean, they, they, they had a heart that was of gold, and kids loved him, and they were doing their work. This guy comes into the church and starts causing a lot of problems, and one of the things that he did is he took them out of their position. And this is where I started to pop, and I went to him, and I said, Pastor so-and-so, you know, I, I'm his assistant, so it makes it a little bit awkward, but I said, uh, I, I got to know, why did you take them out of that position? And he said, well... I learned that they were divorced and remarried. This was their second marriage. I went, and? And, and? and he said, well, you know, what kind of a witness is that to our kids? And I lost it. <laughs> what kind of witness was I, huh? I, it's like, how, wait, 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 wait. I'll tell you, since you asked, what kind of witness this is. It's a witness about how God is a God of second chances, praise God. It's a witness about how there are no used up Christians. Hallelujah. It's a witness to forgiveness and grace and the love and the power of God who never gives up on people. It's a witness to how imperfect people can be used in ministry, praise God. That's the best kind of witness you can have. And really, if we're honest, that's the only kind of witness we have because we're all imperfect. What the world needs to see, amen. It's not a bunch of uh, pseudo-perfect people. We need to, they, they need to see real people. You know, I was thinking this week about how the Lord, when he appeared to the doubting Thomas, he didn't appear, this is the resurrected Lord now, he didn't appear with, with his biceps and his resurrection power and say, believe on me or you shall you go to hell. Um, he appeared and he said, I invite you to explore my wounds. Think about it. After the resurrection, he still has the scars. And he wins Thomas over by saying, uh, you know, I want to invite you in on my wounds. In fact, the way God reaches the world, uh, the way God reaches the world is by becoming vulnerable to the world. Now, there's a time of judgment where God reveals his strength, and there's a lot of it. But, but to people whose heart is at all open, God hangs naked on the cross 
And what he's saying there is this. Look on the inside. Remember this into me see sermon we did about a year ago? He's saying, I ache for you. I love you so much. I pain for you. I grieve for you. And you see that pain on the cross and God isn't hiding it. He's showing it. And it's that truth. That's part of what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, aletheia, and the life. This is the truth of God. God unveiled. God disclosed. Come. You can look at me right here. And then Paul says in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. How do you imitate God? Well, you don't imitate Him by trying to create a universe. You imitate Him by trying to win the world the way He did. And He did it through vulnerability. Through vulnerability. We need to be a people who are willing to go, to, willing to say to other people, uh, I got scars. Would you like to know a little bit about my scars? Uh, and that gives us an opportunity to begin to talk a little bit about the Lord who heals the scar. When the neighbor comes and, and says, we're supposed to be building relationships. And when the neighbor then maybe says, oh, my marriage is in a crisis, you know. Uh, and, and we've been married 18 years and we still can't get our sex life right, you know. And it's all screwed up and, and it's just a mess. This isn't the time to be Mr. Doctor Fix-It, uh, you know, know it all about marriage. Oh, well, that's an easy one. And, you know, and just kind of throw out a little thing there. Now, if you got some advice, give it. But it all depends on how you give it. Nor is it the time to put your marriage by contrast on display. Oh, my wife and I have always had great sex and we've always gotten along well because we have Jesus. Thank you very much. You see, what that does, what that does is it squashes people. It's praise God if that's true. I'll write a book. But, 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 but it squashes people. You know, it's like, and now you've that no credibility to share the, share the Lord with them. This is the time when someone says, you know, I struggle in our marriage and I struggle with an anger, or I, whatever their issue might be. For you to say, you know what, because you're a fallen human being too. I know where you're at. And maybe you don't have the exact same struggle, but you've got some struggle. And this is the time to put out the wounds and say, you know what, I got scars. I got scars. I got a real deep one right here. You know, would you, would you want to know about that one? And, and, and you let them in on your life, they let you in on their life, and now you begin to build a real relationship between real people. Real beggars. The only difference is this. You found some food. And now maybe, now maybe, since he knows that you're also a hungry person, now it means something when you say, you know what, I found some food and it really worked for, for, for my wife and I. We put Christ in the center of our marriage and it's making a difference. It's not perfect right now, but you know, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about what it might mean for God to be a part of your family? Or have you ever thought, you see, but now you're not talking, uh, you're up here and they're down here, you know? It's rather you're just face-to-face human beings, fallen human beings, you're all in process here, and you have a way of pointing to Jesus Christ. We're called to be real. Real with where we're at, and where we're at is imperfect and in process, but also then real with the fact that the Lord loves us anyways, and He's involved in our life to bring healing in our life, praise God. To be an ambassador for Jesus Christ is not to be operating out of a power position, it's to be operating out of a servant position of love, ministering to the world around us, praise God. Could you, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And I just want to close in a quick prayer. Could I ask this? Are you here this morning and you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to have you come forward. Uh, I, I just right now want to pray for you. Because I, and it's an act of, 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 of kind of a commitment. If you just raise your hand real quickly and I'll acknowledge it and then you can put it down. Is there anybody here who would like to become a believer here this morning? Thank you, brother. I see you. Anybody else who would like to become a believer here this morning? I'd like to invite the prayer team up as we're uh, getting ready to pray here. Anybody else who would just say, yes, you know what, this morning uh, I, I want to become a believer. I, I want to become a Christian. Okay, brother, I see you. Thanks.
This is how we all get here, folks. This is what makes the difference between being a citizen of the kingdom of God and not. It could be that you've got wounds in your life. And what I want you to see here this morning is that God had, he aches for you. He's inviting you in on that ache. He aches for you. He longs for you. He loves you with a love that none of us could begin to comprehend. It hurts him how much he loves you. And all you're saying is, yeah, you know what? I need that in my life. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. Uh, There's three people here who want to accept the Lord as their Savior. And I would like all believers to pray with them this prayer. Okay, and and we just repeat after me. This is just kind of a biblical prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ into this world. And I believe that he is Lord. And I believe he is Savior. And I believe he died for me. I need you, Lord Jesus. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me of my sin. And make me whole. I commit my life to you. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. The Bible says all the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner comes to repentance. And we had three people do that here this morning. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord God. Amen. We thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. God is good. I would like to invite you three who accepted the Lord. When we're dismissed, uh, you could come forward and talk to any of these prayer counselors. They'd love to talk to you uh, and maybe pray with you further if, you, if, if you'd like. Or if you have any other area of your life, maybe there are wounds in your life that need to be addressed. Uh, feel free to come forward and, um, uh, and receive prayer for that. I want to close with this. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go out of this place, Lord, let your anointing be upon us. Make us your ambassadors, your kingdom people, your warriors behind enemy lines, Lord God. Give us an, a vulnerable heart of love for all around us, Lord God. Lord God, uh, help us to be communicators and mediators of your grace, of your love, of your sacrifice for the entire world. May people smell the aroma of heaven all around us wherever we walk. And that aroma is love. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said one last time, Amen. We love you. God bless. Covenant partners, stick around. We've got to take a 15-minute vote. And the altar is open.